Um, Today's reading is 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told by you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be here this morning. We're commencing a new series on the book of 1 Peter. Uh, On the table up the back there, you'll find some resources, which are these studies that I've written for small groups. So there's nine of those, uh, and they're in a booklet form. They also will be available electronically on the website. Now, chances are there's a few people here who have read this novel. Has anybody here read this? Damascus by Christos Toskos. I can never work out how you say his surname. Uh, There's a couple of people. Yeah. And uh, I'd recommend it. It's not an easy read, but it's uh, like many of his novels, and it's very different to a lot of his other novels. Um, His most famous one was uh, The Slap, which was a bestseller, and this has also been a bestseller. And the thing that's brilliant about this book is he's not a believer, but he grew up in a Christian or Greek Orthodox heritage. And uh, as a mature adult, he was kind of trying to work out what it was about the faith of his grandmother in particular, who's someone who goes to Mass every day, that was so significant. And so he did a lot of historic research checking out 
uh, the Christian faith and its origins to kind of go back to where the Christian faith started and what it all meant and how it was derived. It's not a work of fiction, of, of history, it's a fiction, work of fiction, uh, but it does have, I think, some significant historic insight. And the thing that I think I found really profound in reading this book, I'm not sure what others, the two other people who have read it, thought, was it gave you this incredible insight into the vulnerability of the early Christian communities. And that's what Peter's addressing in this letter. He's writing to some people who are scattered in what we would consider to be Turkey these days, in Anatolia, scattered Christian communities, uh, incredibly vulnerable, and uh, in particular, a group of people who were living in the generation after the first generation of believers. So these were people who hadn't been in Jerusalem. They might have had some contact with one of the apostles because the gospel was preached to them. Uh, they were seeking to live out their faith in a situation where they were incredibly vulnerable and where they were in a significant minority. Uh, what the novel kind of captures is, in a very profound way, the nature of that vulnerability culture in that the world in that day was an incredibly stratified place where there were some elites who had, were very wealthy and had kind of access to resources and everyone else was kind of eking out an existence. Uh, people who died were literally thrown onto the streets and abandoned. Uh, infanticide, the killing of children, particularly girls, was incredibly common if not the norm. Uh, there was an amazing distinction between slave and free and an amazing distinction between men and women. And yet in these tiny, small, vulnerable Christian communities, they had abandoned all of that and they were despised because of that. So in these household communities, men and women, slave and free, gathered together. They cared for the sick. They took in the dying. They didn't practice infanticide uh, and they were exercising love in an amazing way. But at the same time, incredibly vulnerable. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have any leadership structures. They were in, like a very, very fragmentary minority living what was seemingly a very odd lifestyle. Uh, and that's, in a sense, the nature of the context that we're talking about here. Now, it is indeed a surprising story to think that the Christian faith somehow survived, and here we are 2,000 years down the track, and we're still worshipping and acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, a guy called Rodney Stark wrote a book a number of years ago called The Rise of Christianity, and in it, he sought to work out why it was that the Roman Empire became Christian in AD 370 or roughly thereabouts. Uh, and what he discovered was that the Christian faith had been gradually rising. It wasn't just that the emperor became Christian, which was what lots of people thought, but in actual fact, when the, empire be when the emperor rather became Christian, uh, the empire itself was already becoming Christian. Uh, and it's, a really, it's only a small book. I'd recommend it, The Rise of Christianity, uh, and it tells an interesting story about how the Christian faith, because they practiced genuine love, they did care for those who were sick and dying. They did actually minister to the vulnerable. They did welcome and include people and genuinely love people. Uh, over time, became a compelling and attractive faith that was embraced by more and more people. It is estimated that at the end of the first Christian century, there were as few as 60,000 believers in the known world of that day. Uh, and they were scattered in about 50 or 60 communities. So tiny, don't you think? Uh, incredibly fragile and fragmented. It wasn't kind of the Holy Roman Empire. It was something that was very, very tiny and uh, really, in a sense, struggling. So that's the context of what Peter's talking to us. Uh, in that sense, I think it's incredibly surprising the way he describes these people. Just imagine you're in one of those little villages seeking to be a person, group person who's following Christ, 
you're a despised person because you're doing this, you're living a different sort of lifestyle because you're mixing with people that you shouldn't mix with. And this is what Peter says about you. To God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. These people are given an incredibly high status in God's sight uh, when, as Peter opens and addresses them in his letter. And more than that, he goes on to talk about the fact that they have this amazing standing in God's sight. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So praise be indeed to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as Peter puts puts it, in his great mercy, he's granted this small, tiny, vulnerable community of people uh, a new birth into a, and a whole new start because they're living in a new way in a radically different situation. Uh, we live in an era when lots of people like to think they can control every aspect of their life, including their death, because uh, as I may have commented recently, people talk these days about having a good death, as if you can kind of manage when you die and how it all pans out. Uh, and that's the nature of our context. When people have children who want to be in control of everything, you can't control over anything because they kind of come when they're going to come, don't they? I mean, we've had two grandkids in the last 12 months and, you know, you had no control over that happening. It was going to happen, hopefully, in God's providence, but it didn't happen necessarily when you wanted it to in a nice, neat way. Well, these people have been born again into a living hope because God in his mercy has had mercy and grace upon them uh, and he's blessed them with the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives to bring about this spiritual change and renewal. And if we respond to God's love in Jesus, then he grants us new birth. We put to death our old life, we're raised to a new life, and we get to live in a new situation. Now, you can't resurrect yourself. Only God can resurrect you and renew you and transform and change you. Now, as we all know, many people live incredibly complicated lives with all sorts of tensions and challenges. And uh, you'd like to think that a fresh start sounds compelling. It's better than a self-help course or a book that you get off the book stand or starting a new diet or a new fitness regime. This is a total transformation. It's a whole new basis for living. It's being born anew, a spiritual rebirth where God becomes God in our hearts and lives. We experience his mercy and grace. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and we're empowered and enabled to live differently. As reborn people, we're blessed with a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this isn't just about what happens when you die, because you get to be a part of that inheritance for all eternity. It's about living into that inheritance as we live out our faith and live out our lives today. As Jesus rose from the dead physically, we have the promise and the hope of physical resurrection ourselves. So when we do go to glory or when Christ comes again, whichever happens first, we get to actually have that expectation that we too will be physically raised as he was physically raised. Uh, And that's the great hope that we have. But that isn't just something that we kind of hang out for 
down the track, it's something that makes a difference in the way that we live today. Because if we have a hope for the future, it actually transforms the basis for how we live today. It has been suggested that one of the reasons for the rise, uh, the significant rise in mental health challenges in our context is because people don't have that profound sense of hope. And some have suggested that we're the first generation in human history that's attempting to live as if life is all just about today uh, and that there is no hope for the future that one actually builds one's basis, basis for one's life upon today. Now, it's true to say that all of us, in spite of this great hope, waver in our faith. We're not necessarily consistent in that and we don't necessarily live in the way that God has raised us to live in a consistent, true way all the time. We all waver. But what we see here from Peter is an absolute assurance that Peter offers his incredibly vulnerable readers. He writes for them as a group and not just as individuals to hang in there because they have this living hope, uh, this resurrected life, this inheritance that will never fade. How amazing it is to have a living hope. Now, for you um, at St. Columns, you have, could have a sense, a high level of vulnerability as a faith community as well. The past 14 months have actually been particularly challenging for every faith community across the globe because, as we know, this time last year or a bit earlier, we all stopped meeting together, uh, and that stopping of meeting together went on for a protracted period, and that's had profound implications for every faith community in Australia, not just your faith community, but every faith community. Uh, there's been lots of really good aspects of what have come out of that lockdown and the uh, moving to church online that have been surprising, and Kirsty's going to touch on one or two of those shortly. But there's also been lots of challenges, uh, and the pathway back to meeting together on site has also been particularly challenging for just about every faith community. Now, even as I've said, many churches currently have reduced attendances as a result of a range of things that appear to be going on. And these comments are generalised comments. They're not comments about some columns in particular. But there are many people who now live at state, live much more frequently or regularly, if not all of the time, at their holiday houses who haven't come back to church because they're not living locally anymore. That's a very common phenomenon uh, that's impacting lots of churches. In many churches, young families have been very reluctant and slow to come back. Uh, and that's true in places like Sydney, where they've been meeting more frequently uh, on site for a lot longer than we have. Uh, most churches have people who seemingly have gone AWOL and are no longer responding to any communication. They may have left your church, but they're not communicating. They might even be going to any church, uh, or they might have gone to another church. It's a kind of complicated situation. Uh, and many churches were deeply impacted financially, and your church in particular with a loss of 50% of your income. Now, it is true to say that some churches benefited significantly during the pandemic because of handouts given out and because of JobKeeper, but certainly uh, your church was more dramatically impacted in that way. Now, on top of all of that, Hewitts and Columns have had the sudden illness and then resignation of your vicar uh, and your assistant minister for the last six years moving to a new location. Now, you'd have to say if you kind of, you know, add all that up, that's a lot for any community to cope with, is it not? Uh, and that, I think, adds to a sense of vulnerability as to where you are at present. Now, as I've said, in the midst of these, there have been surprising things that have happened and there have been new opportunities that have opened up. Uh, and Kirsty's going to tell us a story or two about some of those now. 
I just thought I'd share um, a couple of things which uh, you're probably aware of, um, but things that we've been able to do during lockdown. As you're aware, um, lockdown was particularly challenging uh, for those in aged care um, uh, facilities uh, where they weren't able to have any visitors for a period of time and restricted visiting uh, for a period of time as well. And during lockdown, we were able to uh, help out uh, at three different aged care facilities. So Auburn House, Shenley Manor and Aveo and Listen Grove. Um, and we were also able to connect uh, with members of our congregation who weren't able to access our services online because they don't use the internet. So uh, this was an opportunity to connect weekly uh, with these communities and these people and to encourage them in their faith. And for the residences in particular, um, we produced a weekly DVD um, of a service uh, for the staff to play to the residents each week. Uh, We dropped off flowers and cards and chocolate Chocolate's always good. Um, And uh, I just wanted to give a a little bit of a sense, particularly in relation to Auburn House. So Auburn House uh, is uh, a care facility for those uh, with uh, psychiatric, geriatric challenges. And uh, it's a place where uh, there is uh, not a lot of being able to communicate and being able to exchange uh, what uh, life means uh, for the residents. The feedback that we got was that um, the one time in the week uh, where those residents had a sense of calm uh, was when they were watching a service uh, and connecting uh, with their God. Um, And that was really special. And and it just drew me to uh, that verse uh, that we did here earlier in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Those residents are aware uh, that God has saved them, even though they've had pretty traumatic and challenging lives. Uh, And their inability to express that verbally is so evident when you see the tears running down their eyes uh, as they're uh, hearing God's word and as they're hearing his praises sung and and attempting to sing along uh, with that. And so that ability to be able to speak uh, the living hope that we have in Christ uh, into those lives, even when others were not able to connect with them, uh, was a really special and privileged um, experience for us. The other thing uh, that we uh, did uh, during lockdown was we we thought we should be doing something more to help with the local poor. And so we established ministry to Romana House, which is housing opportunity uh, under servants housing. Uh, It's based in Kew. um, And uh, during lockdown, uh, we started providing meals uh, for the residents uh, at Romana House once a month. Um, And we've got a wonderful team uh, of people uh, involved in developing that and sustaining that each month. And that um, provided an ability to drop off and connect with those residents once a month um, and for them to know that they are loved um, and loved with the love of Christ. Uh, So this, again, was another way of us being able to provide some hope and some sense of uh, connection uh, with people who were not able to connect with others during this time. 
uh, and a way of us showing uh, that Christ's love uh, has an impact on us and a way in which we can share that with others, giving them the hope that we have. Uh, so such enc- I find these two things so encouraging um, and such a way of, in the midst of trials and challenges, uh, being able to hold on to the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you, Kirsty. And uh, in fact, uh, Kirsty and I were at Auburn House the week before last, and it was uh, we had a service of Holy Communion, and it was very beautiful. I mean, there's this a lady there who's an absolute gem who kind of gathers everybody, and they all get brought in. It takes quite a long time for them to gather, uh, and uh, they hadn't had communion for uh, 12 months, and they were all crying, like not just crying, they were weeping. It was. Um, a beautiful thing to be a part of because, um, you know, it's the fact that we're able to go there to share communion with them uh, was, you know, for them incredibly profound. And most of these people have dementia, so uh, it's sort of tapping into something that's very deep in terms of who they are as people. So that was uh, lovely. Thank you, uh, Kirsty, for sharing that. I think that's incredibly encouraging. Uh, I work part-time for Overseas Council Australia and, and part of the what has happened with that organisation which supports theological education in the developing world in the last 12 months is that, uh, like I just described here, every theological college in the world had to go online overnight. Uh, Now, for sophisticated, well-endowed colleges in the West, that probably wasn't too traumatic, although it was pretty dramatic for a lot of places, but for small colleges in situations where they have limited resources to suddenly have to start teaching online uh, was a very big challenge. Uh, Overseas Council launched a thing called Shoulder to Shoulder and in that project we uh, decided that we could stand shoulder to shoulder with these colleges as they had to suddenly pivot overnight uh, and we provided both technical, technological as well as consulting as well as uh, resources practically to enable them to transition in that way and that had a profound impact. So in the midst of the struggle, lots of positive things have come um, out of all of that. So today, I guess, I'd like you to be assured, God, your Father, our Father, has given us new birth. That's Peter's assurance here. We've been resurrected to a new life, and we have a living hope, one that's bound up for us and that's secured down the track when we die, but one that actually we can live out as we seek to follow Christ today. But more than that, in the meantime, Peter says that we're shielded by God's power until the coming of his salvation when Christ returns. And that means that we should all live, see our lives as being purposeful today because the things that we do today are part of the outworking of God's will in other people's hearts and lives as we live them out in God's world today. As we work, as we share in our families and our extended families with all of their challenges and complexities, as we live in our local communities, as we use our God-given gifts and abilities, that's all part of our response to having this living hope, this living inheritance that we're sharing in and participating in today. Now, in reality, every church, if you think about it, is always a vulnerable entity. It has been said that every generation is one generation away from extinction. And indeed, some of the churches that Peter is writing to here in Peter don't exist today. Now, that's 2,000 years ago. That's not surprising. But every church, even the strongest church, is incredibly vulnerable. And like those primitive churches, we ourselves have to be attentive to God's word, continue to be focused and prayerful as we seek to actually not only maintain the faith, but to live it out and express it in our world today. So Peter's bringing us encouragement and he's bringing us uncertainty. 
but he also brings us an acknowledgement that it's in the context of trials and challenges. In verse 6, he says, In all of these you greatly rejoice, though now little, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And every church, every community of faith does have its trials and its challenges, whether it's sickness or conflict or financial pressures, broken relationships, children who have given up the faith. There's all sorts of challenges that we all live with. And we should acknowledge those challenges and those trials. We don't live out the Christian faith as if it's some sort of thing where it just, you know, protects us from any challenges. We live it out in the midst of lots of challenges. And as Peter sees it, these trials have been given so that these people, as they live their transitory life, will actually be encouraged to actually prove their faith or their faith will be proved by the way they respond to them. It's a process, he says, of proving the genuineness of your faith. And the image he uses is one of gold, which has to be refined by fire. So as we face trials and challenges, we often will resent them and we'll often find them overwhelming and difficult, but they are part of the means that God uses to refine us, to perfect us, to enable us to become more fully the people that he wants us to do. And then Peter goes on to touch on one of the great mysteries that we, is that we believe in something that we can't actually see which Kirsty just touched on momentarily then. Uh, And it is a great mystery to many people that we can actually believe in a God that you can't see, you can't touch, you can't talk to, and it's not tangible. It's about a faith in a God that actually you believe in through trust and through the, the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in one sense, maybe it was harder so living so close for, the, for those original disciples because they had a high level of vulnerability about how they lived out their faith. As I said before, they didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have designated leaders. They only had fragmented fragments of phrases that they repeated together which they had passed on to them. Uh, and they were living in a context where they were despised and uh, often facing hostility uh, of a significant kind. Uh, in those days, Turkey was a long way from Jerusalem and people didn't travel much. Now, these days, most of us here are probably much travelled and we've got a sense of the reality of the globe and the planet as it's lived out. Uh, and so we, in a sense, have a much sense of, a stronger sense of what the world is like. But it doesn't mean we don't actually face struggles ourselves and uh, live with that tension. Well, as Peter says, what the one, here, one of the great blessings is that we, even though we've not seen him, uh, we actually can still love him. And even though we can't see him now, we can believe in him and be filled with inexpressible joy and glorious freedom because of the salvation that is at work in us. So it's a challenge, I think, to live out of faith, your faith and to believe in something you can't see. And I think many people, as I've said, find that to be a mystery and too hard. But at the same time, it is also incredibly amazing that so many people do believe and so many people do shape their lives on this faith today. Uh, in the past week, there's been a, a, the usual Twitter sphere sort of eruption because the Prime Minister spoke at a Pentecostal conference on the Gold Coast uh, I'm not going to comment on any of the things he particularly said, uh, but it just illustrated the fact that the people were kind of surprised that a person living in 2021 would still believe in a God and pray to that God and want to worship and acknowledge him. People still find that kind of perplexing. It would be a lot better if we all just gave up on it from lots of people's points of view. But it does illustrate, I guess, for us that uh, God is alive. He is at work in people's hearts and lives. Even though we can't see him, we still acknowledge him, work, worship him, Even though we might sense our vulnerability, we can have confidence in him and what he's done in our hearts and lives. 
So today, let's give thanks to God for this living hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's rejoice in the fact that God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can live out that living hope and reality in our hearts and lives today as it impacts all of our lives, even in the midst of trials and challenges. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for that living hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for blessing us with a, an inheritance that is, cannot perish, that won't be spoiled, and that actually is set and secure for us. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to draw upon the full power of the Holy Spirit and all of the resources available to us through prayer and the community of God's people to actually express, experience that vulnerability together and to actually strengthen and encourage each other through your spirit to live as your people today. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.